Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it is Friday and you are listening to Lady T, host of Consensus Pod. Today, I have a very personal episode for you. As you know, on this podcast, we discuss faith, family, and how to get navigate modern society as a member of the nuclear family structure. And we've been through it all. We've discussed father hunger. We've discussed the deinstitutionalization of marriage. We've discussed divorce culture, baby mama, baby daddy, dysfunction. And I gave you five tips for married people to uh, navigate a anti-marriage society. Today is going to be a more, I guess, upbeat and inspirational episode because we do discuss faith on this program and I am a Christian, I definitely want to give you guys uh, a little personal history on um, me and my church. So today, I think I'm going to title this episode, The Importance of a Solid Faith in a Good Church Home. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, it is a lovely, lovely Friday, and choosing to end this week with a more positive, more inspirational um, kind of message, although there is going to be a lot of truth in here as well. So today's episode is going to be on the importance of finding a good church home. Um, That was something that I was determined to do for many years of my life. But when we talk about a good church home, what do we mean? We mean a church that is rooted in biblical principles, one that actually teaches the gospel of Christ, not the gospel of man. And by that, I mean one that doesn't, uh, who's, one whose leaders don't stand in the pulpit turning their own uh, man-made gospel into uh, the, the word of Christ. I've seen that done many times and it never works. Okay. There was the gospel as it was given to us by Christ, which, uh, had structure, which had morality, which had a code of ethics and taught us, you know, how to treat it. First off, to honor God and his will and love the Lord with all your heart and lean upon him for all understanding and to, you know, love your neighbors, you love yourself, uh, husbands and wives to honor each other. Uh, Christ's gospel taught us to take care of the sick, the poor, the fatherless, the widow, um, the to visit the prisoner, to care for our religious leaders. But Christ's gospel also taught us regarding the religious leaders to beware of false prophets, meaning the, pe- the type of people that I had kind of just mentioned, those that approach the pulpit with their own doctrine, with a false gospel, and uh, try to convince you that that is something that the Lord ordained. It's not. Now, my experience with the latter has been, I guess it first started when I was young in about 1997, because I am 33 now. Um, my family and I were visit, were attending a church called Temple of Faith Ministries. And up to a certain point, the pastors were real good about preaching the gospel, you know, teaching Christian morals, Christian ethics, you know, don't no stealing, no lying, uh, adultery is a sin, uh, no fornication before marriage, um, you know, how to walk in righteousness, 
real sound Christian codes. Then again, they actually believed in preaching sin back then because the church at that time was at its strongest and did not allow the dominant society around it to dictate what it can and cannot say to its parishioners. That's changed. But anyway, um, so at that time, the church was strongest. Now, here's what happened. Somewhere around 97, that started to change. And in 1997, I noticed that more and more pastors were moving away from gospel to something that obviously is man-made called prosperity gospel. And what prosperity gospel does is it it uh, focuses in on, it, it actually is a form of that ear-tickling gospel that the Bible warns about in the last days. It says that, you know, in those times, people will be searching for a message that tickles their ears and it sounds pleasing to them, but, you know, beware of those messages and their messengers. But, um, so prosperity gospel does just that. It focuses in on those prophets or those men that God used in the Bible and he prospered them like Moses and uh, King Solomon, David, um, Joseph. But it, it, it points specifically to the point, the, the fact that God prospered those people. But what it does not do is recognize that their prosperity wasn't just for them. It was for a purpose. Moses was raised up to deliver the children of Israel, the Hebrews from slavery. Joseph was raised up so that he could save not only the Egyptians from starvation, but also his family, the Canaanites, who traveled from Canaan up to Egypt uh, when those when that uh, season of drought and those um, famines started to hit. King David became king over Israel after defeating Goliath. That was a prosperity that was earned through hard work. King Solomon, of course, his wisdom was his purpose for being in that seat on the throne. You didn't just get these people who um, were given all these things just to show off. But the prosperity speakers, because I don't want to call them preachers or reverends or bishops, they don't, they don't, in my opinion, deserve that title. Those preachers or those speakers uh, neglect to tell you that latter part, that their prosperity was for other people. Their prosperity, yes, of course, their families benefited from it because these men did have families. Moses had a wife and I believe two sons. Uh, Joseph married and had children. King David had a ton of sons. He had, uh, actually one of his sons tried to kill him because he had, David had a few wives and he had, I know he had children with Bathsheba. I don't know if he had children with uh, Saul's daughter, but they were still married. Um, King Solomon had 500 wives. I'm pretty sure he had children too. Uh, but anyway, those men's prosperity did affect them and their families, but it also benefited people around them and not just the 500 women that Solomon married over the 200 girlfriends he had after that. So in noticing that there was a rise in prosperity gospel, I also noticed a rise in the changing, a uh, big shift in the changing behaviors of Christians inside the church. And those people that really tried to walk a straight line and actually try to do what um, the Bible says and try to live by Christ's principle were, um, were basically pushed out of the church because they're, or they left on their own because they saw what was happening. And what was happening was when the Christ, when the gospel that Christ gave us left the church, then the seven deadly sins took over. And I'm talking about lust, greed, pride, um, vanity, uh, envy, wrath, such and such. Okay. Slothfulness, uh, gluttony, 
those things took over, but especially the greed. And from one church, it spread like wildfire from one church to the next. All pastors were talking was prosperity, prosperity, prosperity. And it became a way for, uh, and I shouldn't call them pastors, actually speakers. Those speakers were, uh, were speaking prosperity, prosperity, prosperity. And with that came a, a manipulation of people, primarily because where I grew up, a lot of people were poor, primarily poor people to taking their their money that they really didn't have and poured it into these churches, hoping for a blessing. And then when that one doesn't come in return because they paid for it, then these people were mad at God and they're mad at everybody except the manipulator that told them that, hey, if you give this much money into this church, you will sell, you will reap a blessing. And that is the biggest problem I have with prosperity gospel. It is not a gospel at all. It's, it's uh, very manipulative. It's a message that preys on, it's actually a manifesto that preys on the poor, that takes advantage of people that have nothing but their faith in God and hope to that one day things will get better. And it t- takes from them what little resources that they do not have. It, it takes their pennies to enrich the lives of those who are manipulating them. As I say, I, I would encourage Christians, please stay away from feel-good preachers. Stay away from those that are always telling you that, uh, th- those that are patting you on the back and telling you that everything is always sunshine and rainbows. That it, Stay away from anybody that tells you that if you pay $19.99 for miracle water, that you will reap a blessing. That is not how God works. And I tell my kids this all the time. What prosperity gospel teaches is that Christians are to treat, you know, the almighty like a genie. And if you rub your Bible three times and ask for a wish, then he'll just appear like the genie from Aladdin and kind of hand it to you. It's not how prayer works. That's not how gospel works. That's not how God works. Now, does God prosper people? Absolutely. Um, But sometimes the answer to your prayers is not, is you not getting what you want. I heard somebody say that, you know, God always answers our prayers, but most of the time it's not always in the way that we want or when sometimes it's not the way we want. And that really made sense to me. I've prayed for all kinds of things in my life that never came true. And when I think about it and I look back on it now, I'm like, well, there was a reason why that prayer was not answered. It makes sense because I know if I would have become a millionaire uh, playing lottery when I wanted to, um, then I would be broke. And I I can't even, especially like my 20. Uh, I can't even fathom the astronomical fallout or how bad that would have been for me and for the people in my life, for me to just have access to that much money, that young, that stupid, that naive and being a spendthrift, especially I'd have been broke in like five years. So that being said, what makes a good church? Well, first off, a good church is one that sticks to and preaches and abides by biblical principles, biblical code of ethics, and biblical morals. If it, it doesn't speak one thing and then live another, okay? Because I've seen that happen too. I've seen people actually preaching against sin and or speaking against sin, and you know, talking about the things that God wants for us, and then speaking the gospel and telling you know Christ's message, but then doing exactly the opposite. I've seen preachers who 
would tell men in the congregation to treat their wives with dignity and respect, but then that pastor was going home and beating his wife. I've seen pastors preach against adultery from the pulpit and then go and commit adultery um, after service. So we need, and I'm not saying that we should expect our leaders to be perfect, but we should accept, it should set a moral standard for them that is biblically based and then uh, hold them to it. And if they don't, then there has to be some type of consequences. Otherwise, these people don't learn because people are creatures of habit. And until there's a consequence there for our bad actions, then we don't learn anything. But so good church uh, abides by the gospel. It has a gospel, a biblically based uh, set of morals, ethics. It has a code there that um, has a code of decency, an emphasis on good, an emphasis on the good things that are righteous according to God himself. And has spoken to us here on earth by Jesus Christ himself. That is what makes a good church. Um, and of course, a part of Christ's gospel was a message of servitude. What can you do as a individual with all your God-given talents? How can you use those things to help uh, serve the community around you, whether they're Christian or not? Um, I know that at my church, which is one of the reasons why I love my church, we uh, take up a lot of donations and there's always something. There's a, a Celebrate Recovery, which um, helps recovering addicts regardless of what they're recovering from, uh, after hours and in, it, it's basically a therapy session for them. Um, and that they host that at least once or twice a week. We also take up donations for the hungry. We help feed the hungry. Uh, we help with, um, getting supplies that mothers need for their babies and things like that. Like just, I'm just trying to go over some of the things off the top of my head that they've done. Um, but those are things that make a good church. If your church is not emphasizing, uh, the, the part of the gospel where Jesus calls you to servitude, then maybe you might want to start asking yourself why, if your church is not, is not emphasizing the part of the gospel that Jesus tells us that there is a right and a wrong way to treat other people, you might want to start asking why if you, and here's a big one for me, because marriage is the, basically one of the center focuses on this program. If you are in a church that does that does not emphasize a biblically based uh, code of marriage, in other words, wives honoring your husbands, with husbands loving and respecting, protecting, providing for your wives, wives uh, love, honor, and cherishing your husband, then you need to ask yourselves why. And I say that last part, especially emphasizing it being a biblically a biblically based, uh, Christ spoken code of ethics in a marriage because. I know that a lot of you may have seen on TikTok some of these radicalized speakers uh, coming out and, and preaching. They so they call it on the subject of marriage, and it, what they what they're saying has nothing to do with gospel at all. Uh, they're bringing vanity into it, and they're bringing um, a lot of things. They're they're basically standing in their pulpits and telling the women in their congregation that they should accept various types of abuse from their husbands, and that uh, if they're not willing to, there's something wrong with them that Lord forbid a woman gain a pound in her marriage, her husband should leave her. Well, the Bible does speak about divorce, but they tell you that there's one reason to divorce your spouse. And that's if they commit infidelity, not if your husband or your wife gets fat. 
Obesity is not a reason to leave your spouse. You might want to start talking to them and helping them understand, look, your health can be affected by this. This can lead to a number of health problems. And, you know, we can see what we can do together to get you, you know, healthy. But obesity is not a reason for you to leave your spouse. Vanity is not a reason for you to leave your spouse. Uh, your lust of someone who's prettier or who's more handsome is not a reason for you to leave your spouse. That's actually the Bible emphasized, <laughs> you know, Christ had something to say about that, too. In Matthew, where he says, if your eyes call, if your right eye causes you to sin, it's better to remove it, pluck it out and cast it aside so that the one part of your body may perish rather than your whole body perish in hell. OK, so there's that tells you two things. First off, Christ emphasized self-control and discipline of each individual person in uh, within the concept any each individual person who was a follower of the gospel and that myth that Jesus never spoke about hell in the Bible that's absolutely false. Um, but Jesus never said leave your wife if she gets fat. So uh, we really need to get back to deciding that we're not going to follow anyone who doesn't preach the actual gospel of Christ, not instead of running after these people that are preaching their own gospels. Um, but what makes a good church is an emphasis on uh, what a biblically based marriage is, honoring your husband and wife, loving them, respecting that person, being a partner to that person, uh, letting that man or that woman be your only sexual partner, let it, um, not lusting after someone else, not being greedy and um, lusting after someone else's money. Um, not coveting the next man's wife or the next woman's husband. As so, you know, we learn not, we learn not to do in the old Testament with the 10 commandments. So if your church isn't emphasizing those things, I don't know why you're there unless you just don't, unless you want to appear Christian, but not actually be one. Cause there's an overall theme in my church that if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you need to act like one. And there are certain, there's a standard by which we live as Christians that, uh, you can't that you if you de you defer from, then you're making not only yourself a liar, but you're actually shaming the gospel. And we don't want to do that. But uh, there is definitely a need in this country for real pastors, real preachers, real bishops, real reverends and real ministers to take the pulpit back because what has happened with the church is it's been hijacked by false prophets and con men and uh, people who are good manipulators that know how to gaslight a congregation and, you know, play games with their minds to get them to do what they want. And I, I would encourage anybody listening to this, stay away from, like I said before, stay away from prosperity preachers, stay away from these preachers that can't point to you in the Bible, if they can't reference anything that they're saying from the Bible, if they can't really show it from the Bible, then there's a big sign that there, there's something wrong with them. And also stay away from these pastors who will tell you, do not read your Bible at home. That is a clear sign that that person is trying to manipulate you. Okay. The Bible itself, God even says, study and show yourself approved. That's what it's for, is for you to take home, take with you, carry with you, read with you, focus and meditate on it as even the Bible says. Those are things that you should be doing with your uh, you know, with your Bible. If any past any person that calls him or herself a pastor and tells you 
you can't or you shouldn't read your Bible outside of church. That's a red flag right there because that person is trying to manipulate something in there or they're trying to keep you from learning something in there that would prove that what they're doing in the pulpit is not of God. So I would definitely tell you, please stay away from people like that because they're a danger for your spiritual life and they're a danger for your morality altogether. So we've gone so much over the things that you should avoid in certain places. Um, and we'll discuss a little bit, you know, what you should look for in a church and what I love about my church. Um, but I remember growing up as a kid and we were heavy involved in the church when I was little. And my husband and I talk about this all the time. Back when we were growing up, you were in church seven days a week, basically. And, um, we don't do that, but we do have a good church home away from our home uh, away from our physical house where we actually live, that um, uh, we go to once a week. And it's not just one of those places that you show up and you sit and you pretend. There's an actual call to duty. And I think that that is the biggest thing that I like about this church is that there are expectations. Um, but the overall environment is warm and loving and accepting. It is one where you know that there's a standard and there's an expectation for you to live up to biblical principles, but the expectation to be, to be perfect is not there. And I say that last part is being important because I remember growing up when my dad was preaching, being a pastor's child, and people expected us to be perfect. Or I felt that way anyway. Uh, we were criticized for everything. If we, I, I at the time was very tomboyish. I didn't wear I didn't wear dresses. I didn't like dresses, especially as I got into my teen years, because girls' clothing started to become, in you know my own opinion, more and more inappropriate. It was too short or too tight or too revealing. I didn't like that. Um, but so I would wear pants, and my parents would let me, and I would get criticized at church for that when uh, I did. But there's none of that where I go. They're, they're not concerned with uh, the whole girls in dresses, boys in suits thing. It's, it's not that vanity doesn't exist in our church. We come to people who come to my church in jeans and t-shirts and it's just fine. I've seen people in, uh, I've seen people dressed up. I've seen people not dressed up. It's whatever you feel like wearing when you get there. Um, so long as you're appropriately covered, that's it. That is the only requirement. Um, but that they don't focus on the appearance because they're too busy working with the heart and working with the soul and, you know, trying to steer you to, on that path. They're trying to help you on that path of a healthy relationship between you and God. That is what's important. They preach a gospel that Jesus <laughs> himself gave. That is important. Um, they emphasize, you know, carrying a good nature with you, meaning uh, be a good representative of Christ. Don't take the gospel and stomp on it and make uh, you don't use the gospel as a weapon against the world. We actually use the Bible to hold ourselves accountable for our own actions and let our actions speak for ourselves and our actions be a, represent a, a representation of the goodness of God. That is what we do. We, um, we do help. We help both anybody in need. We help Christians. We help non-Christians. We, uh, we raise our children, as the book of Psalms says, in the way that they will go and pray that when they get older, that they will not depart from it. But um, those are the things that I love about my church. Now, when I was growing up, 
we were in the church heavy. And as the, the nature of the church started to change um, and more things that were not tolerated became tolerable for some reason in church. And there was a lot of backbiting. And there were, I remember there being um, periods of time where my father would preach at different churches and behind him would come his own family, his brothers and sisters calling and lying and telling, you know, gossiping with pastors behind his back. And he stopped preaching rather than, I don't know why he didn't just stand up and tell the truth, but he, he left the pulpit rather than tell the truth about what was going on. And so we were, when he stopped preaching, we stopped going. And I always thought that that was a mistake because I love the, the church environment. I loved everything about it. And so when I, I told myself when I was younger that when I grew up and I got married and I had my kids, I was going to make sure me, I was going to make sure me and my husband took our kids to church. That is uh, what we do now, but not just any church because a lot of these churches are just tickling ears. They're not in the business of actually bringing, they, they don't care about whether or not you have a relationship with God or they don't care that you're, uh, they don't care if your actions match your words. They just, it's a, a gospel verse on every tongue but the word is not present in the heart or in the mind or in the actions of the person. That is the biggest problem that I have with a lot of churches. And ours doesn't accept that. If you're going to have that gospel on your tongue, you're like, okay, it's good that you know it, but what are you, are you living it? That is the, the theme. So I know that my children are growing up under the morals and principles that we believe in. I know that they are growing up uh, and they will carry those things into the world, especially now. Um, I know that with, we have that, that sword and shield, that rock and foundation that helps us to combat anything that would try to pull us off of our, out of our, uh, moral, that would try to get us to go against our own beliefs and go against our morals and our principles, especially regarding sex and sexual, uh, activity which of course is something that you have to start discussing with your children when they're, I say around middle school, because it's getting, it, it, the way that the society around us is dealing with things like sex and sexuality and sexual orientation and, I, and all this other stuff is ridiculous. Um, it, it's too much and it's, it's, we're targeting it toward younger and younger people, but that's another conversation for another episode. What is good about my church is that it is a foundation. It is actually what it's supposed to be. And that is a hospital for sinners. Like we, you would hear church people say that the church is a hospital for sinners. And it actually is. I know that I've learned a lot and I've um, grown in, <coughs> excuse me, I've grown spiritually and not, not that I'm the most God-centered person or that I'm the biggest person. Uh, Whatever I hate when people tell those exaggerated stories about their their come to God. Some of them I assume are true, but every it seems like everybody has this over exaggerated coming to God story, and I I really have a hard time believing everybody was the worst sinner ever. I think some of those people they're just exaggerating their own um, wrongdoings for unfortunately the pray for I guess validation inside the church, and you don't do that. But it is a place to heal. It's a place to go and learn and feel. I really feel what that that this is an environment that you know Christ Himself would approve of because of the nature of the people. Um, and I've actually, 
am happy to say that not only are my kids going to be volunteering at the church, but I've decided to do the same. Um, I don't know. I just feel like that's one of those things that I should be doing. Definitely. (sighs) Let's put some good into this world where there's so much negativity and so much uh, hurt and pain and misery. Find you a good church, one that emphasizes biblical principles, one that holds you to a standard, one that looks at your heart rather than your outward appearance, one that doesn't uh, deal one that hasn't been overtaken by the seven deadly sins, one that's not lustful, prideful, envious, boastful, uh, rage-filled, slothful, or greedy, you know, one of those. Let's, let's stay away from those churches. Stay away from churches that tell you that a feel-good message all the time, something that's just going to make you feel uh, that... You know, you don't have anything to work on. So away from these churches that uh, expect a fee for a blessing because that's not <laughs> that is not gospel. Actually, the way the tithing system was done in the gospel in the Bible is completely different from the way it is done in most modern churches. Anyway, it was never money; it was uh, offerings and and offerings in the Old Testament were uh, sometimes they were animal. But there were also things like incense. They would burn the smell of the incense. And those were, they burnt, like, uh, it talks about that part where, uh, I forget who goes into the field and burns his offering unto God. His offering was the scent of that partic- that animal and that particular scent of whatever he burned. That was a tithes and offering. It wasn't money until the Vatican church made it money. So that is something that we should be aware of. But anyway, thank you for joining me on this episode, guys. Tune in Sunday for an all-new episode of Consensus Pod where we discuss faith, family, and how to navigate modern society as a member of the nuclear family structure. Thank you. Have a good evening.